He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Glad you are joining us. Praise the Lord. The tomb is empty. Our Savior is risen from the grave. Let's go ahead and pray this morning. Father God, allow our hearts to sing at the celebration of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Fully God who became fully man, lived a perfect sinless life, willingly went to the cross for us, Lord. And you placed our sins upon him and he paid the penalty of our sin, which is death. Thank you. And then on the third day, what we celebrate today, Lord, Resurrection Sunday, your son bodily, visibly, gloriously, victoriously rose from the dead. Let our hearts sing. Let us be filled with joy and gladness. It's in the mighty name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I wonder if you know the Hebrew phrase, Yad Vashim. If you've been to Israel and you've been to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, named Yad Vashim, you probably recognize it. It's a Hebrew phrase that means a place and a name. It actually comes out of Isaiah chapter 56, verse 5. This is what God wrote. I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. The idea of Yad Vashem opened in 1953. The Holocaust Museum, more artifacts of the hideous, horrendous, horrific Holocaust than anywhere else in the world. The idea was that we would remember and that every victim, over six million Jews and others who were slaughtered, who were murdered during the Holocaust, we would remember them. Their name would be remembered in a place. And if you've been to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, Yad Vashem, your heart, it overturns with grief at the, the evil and the sinfulness, the capability of man. But then there are other parts in the museum where you see the spirit, the indomitable spirit of godly, good people, individuals who sacrifice much for the sake of others. One of my favorite spots in the Holocaust Museum is outside the main museum, just in front of the Museum of Children. There we have a memorial. It's a memorial to a Polish man named Janusz Korsak and the children. Now Janusz was a Warsaw Pole. He was born in the 1870s, early 1880s. He was born in Warsaw. He, at age 20, entered a literary contest. He thought of himself, he envisioned himself as a writer. And he actually run, won the contest, he received a small monetary reward, but better than that, he got a job in the literary world working for a newspaper. That was so important 
because he was the provider for his grandmother, his mother, and his sister. While he worked publishing many little articles that he would write, he went to medical school in Warsaw and he graduated as an MD. Eventually, he became a war doctor in the 1906 Rusa-Japanese War. During that time, though, serving as a doctor, he saw that as a noble profession, but not the one that he thought he was called to. At the end of the war, he went back to Warsaw and he opened up an orphanage for children. And he had a heart that loved children, a father's heart. He also had that ability to write. And so he started a newspaper about parenting. He wrote children's books. He wrote books on parenting. He actually had a radio broadcast talking about parenting. If you know the name James Dobson, he was James Dobson before James Dobson in the Polish world. And then in 1939, Nazi Germany invaded Warsaw. And you remember they divided the city, the Aryan side and the Jewish ghetto, and they walled in the ghetto. And there was a lot of disease and there was starvation. But because Giannis was such a famous man, time and again, he was offered the opportunity to leave the Jewish ghetto and have freedom. But he saw his children, these children that he had adopted, his children in the orphanage that he ran with Stepha, his counterpart, and he wouldn't leave. He was offered this opportunity. He knew that if he stayed, it would be his life, but he stayed. He saw those children. And the insidious final solution, the attempt to eliminate European Jewry by the Nazi regime, got to the point in 1942 where all of the Jews, even the children in Warsaw, were loaded onto boxcars. What you may not know is out of the 6 million that died, 1.5 million were children. By this point, Stepha and Juris's, their orphanage had 200 kids. Again, he was offered the opportunity to escape, but, but no, he would stay with his children and they lined him up in four lines and they marched him onto the boxcar and they were taken to Treblanca where eventually they were gassed. Soon after his death, his diary of what it was like to serve children in the Warsaw Ghetto was found. And it was published after his death in 1958. And every time I see that monument, my heart is warmed by what this man, this woman, did for others. And he had the opportunity to escape. But he didn't because he saw others. He saw children. He wanted better for them. And he wanted to somehow rescue them. And my heart is warmed. And as incredible as that story is, one that ought to be remembered, seared into our conscience, even that pales in comparison to what Jesus did. Fully God took on full humanity, left the splendors and the glories of heaven, came down to earth, never sinned, but then went to the cross. He could have called a dozen legions of angels to rescue them. They would have come at his beck and call. He could have escaped. 
But he saw you. He saw you. He saw potential children in Christ. And he went to the cross. And he paid the penalty of sin, which is death. He died for us. His body was then laid in another man's tomb. They rolled a rolling stone to close the tomb. Guards were placed there to secure the tomb. But the guards couldn't stop what happened that day. The rolling stone couldn't prevent what happened that day. Satan was powerless to stop what happened that day. The stone was rolled back and Jesus bodily, victoriously, gloriously rose from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I want to pick up today and I want to read about the resurrection, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ from the book of Revelation. I want to read in the fifth chapter, Revelation 5. I'm going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 to 14. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's God the Father, a scroll written within and on the back, a double-sided scroll, which is a Hebrew way of saying it's got everything you need to know. Sealed with seven seals. The, the number seven is the, the number of perfection. It was perfectly sealed. And I saw a mighty or a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one, don't miss this, no one, no one in heaven or on earth, we could put in parentheses, or sitting in this room or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I, John, the writer, the human writer, who's given the sneak peek by the angel into these proceedings, and I, John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb, Jesus, <coughs> standing as though he had been slain from the cross with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, all just talking about the perfection of Jesus. Seven's the number of perfection sent out to all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Jesus took the scroll from the Father. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb, before Jesus, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb 
who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And they heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to the Father and the Son, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshiped. The text begins with John, the human author, who's given a sneak peek into heaven. And he sees that there is a scroll. And the scroll is sealed with seven seals. Seven is a number of perfection. And this scroll is in the hands of God the Father. So you can't take a sneak peek or you'd have to somehow take it from God the Father. And it's perfectly sealed. This is Fort Knox type of stuff. This is cloak and dagger type of stuff. What's in the scroll inquiring minds want to know? To add intrigue, it says it is written on the front and the back. Now, if you know anything about ancient documents, many of them are written on papyra. That's kind of like a celery-type substance, and you would put the celery pieces this way and glue them together so you could write. But on the back, you'd put the celery pieces this way so it would hold together, and it was impossible to write on the back. Your pen would just kind of skip. The document doesn't have writing on front and back as we think of it. This is a Hebrew idiom. What it actually means is the document is complete. It's the whole shebang. Everything that the document purports to write about is in the document. You don't have to look anywhere else. It tells it all. It's the completed document about the Lamb. Now the document is the book of Revelation. And when we talk in America and we say, hey, do you know anything about a revelation? We get kind of loose and we say, oh yeah, revelation. Uh, that's the book of the end times. Or that's the book of prophecy. Yes and yes, but not really. If you read through the book, it does have prophecy. It does have end times. But the book is about the Lamb. <coughs> the book is about Jesus. How does Revelation 1-1 begin? The revelation of, it doesn't say prophecy. The revelation of, it doesn't say end times. It says the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. The book is about the revelation, the revealing of Christ and what he's done for us. How he's bought us back from the slavery of sin, the bondage of sin, from eternal death how he's offered redemption, how he's offered forgiveness, how he paid the penalty of our sin, atoned for our sin through his death. That's what the book is about. <coughs> Unfortunately, verse 1 tells us it's sealed. In fact, it tells us it's sealed seven times. It's perfectly sealed. And there's a mighty angel. And the mighty angel said, who is worthy to open the seal? And then verse 3, no one. No one is worthy to open the seal. No one in heaven and on earth and under the earth. No one in this room. Don't miss the implication. The book is about Jesus and his redemption, his offer of salvation his offer of forgiveness, his offer of eternal life, 
his offer to be the atoning, the paying sacrifice for our sin. And no one is open it, is worthy to open it. Nobody in heaven or on earth in this room or under the earth, no one. In other words, no one can enact salvation for themselves. Because in an ancient Jewish document, the document is not valid unless it is open. We have something kind of like this in our day and age. If you have a will and it must go to probate, you can't distribute the contents of the will until the probate section is complete. You have to complete probate before the contents of the will is enacted. That's what it was in the Middle East. Redemption, salvation, forgiveness, atonement, paying for our sin cannot be enacted until the document is open and it can only be opened by the one who completes it. And no one in heaven or on earth or in this room or under the earth can open the scroll. None of us can enact redemption. None of us can earn salvation. We can try and be good enough, but our sin is always there. We can try and do good things like maybe baptism or confirmation or communion or church attendance. Good things, none of them will save. And so John understands this. And John begins to cry because he realizes if nobody is worthy to open the scroll, there is no redemption, there is no salvation, there is no atoning for our sin. And we are dead in our sin, lost in our sin. There is no potential for eternal life. And so verse 4 has John weeping. And I love verse 5. Weep no more. Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's from the lineage of David. Has conquered so that he can open the scroll. What has he conquered? He's conquered death. He went to the cross, died, was put in the tomb. He's not there. The tomb is empty. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He's conquered sin. He never sinned, but we have. (laughs) Certainly we have. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we claim that we have no sin, we're actually liars because the truth is not in us. And Romans 6, 23 says, what we deserve for our sin, the wages of our sin is death. And so Jesus, who never sinned, went to the cross, paid the penalty of sin. He died. He was the lamb that was slaughtered. He was placed in the tomb. The stone was rolled there. The guards were there. Satan secured it. But Satan couldn't stop it. The guards couldn't stop it. The stone couldn't stop it. And Jesus victoriously, permanently, physically rose from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. No wonder we read in verse 9 that they sang a new song. Worthy. Are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21 puts it this way. For your sake, or for our sake, he, the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, Jesus never sinned, to take on sin, that through him, through faith in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. There is salvation in no other but Jesus Christ. No wonder we read in verse 12 that with a loud voice he said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And no wonder in verse 14 the heavenly leaders fall prostrate on the ground worshiping and they cry out, Amen. <coughs> so be it. As I thought about the truth of the resurrection, I thought about a man named Tsar Nicholas I of Russia. He ruled in Russia in 1825 to 1855. And Nicholas had a best friend. They were buddies, childhood friends, grew up together. They went everywhere together. They were best buddies. And his friend had a son, little Ivan. And Ivan grew up. And because Nicholas loved his friend, when Ivan became of age, he gave Ivan a very prestigious job. He hired Ivan to be the bookkeeper of an entire division in the army. A lot of money, a big part of the treasury, a lot of bookkeeping. It was a big job. And Ivan was paid handsomely for this job. The problem was that Ivan gambled. And he gambled more than he actually made. And he began to pilfer and steal a little bit here and a lot there. And he began to steal from the treasury. And this went on for a long time. Then one day Ivan heard that the next morning his books would be audited. That had never been done before. And quickly he took out his books and he looked what was in the treasury. And he realized that he had pilfered an amount beyond what he could ever pay. And so on his ledger he wrote, So great a debt who could pay? And he knew that he would be arrested. He knew that he would be tortured and then put to death. And wanting to escape torture, he took out a pistol. He laid it on the table right above where he had written, So great a debt who can pay? He vowed at midnight he would take his life. He wasn't going to be tortured. He knew that that would be beyond what he could handle. And he drifted off to sleep, one last sleep, and woke up at a quarter to twelve. But while he was sleeping, the czar, Nicholas I, happened by, saw the light in the room, saw Ivan sleeping, snuck in, looked at the ledger, looked at the treasury, read the note, so great a debt who could pay, realized what the young man had done. He had stolen from Nicholas I. And Nicholas was about to call the guards, arrest this man, torture this man, put him to death. And then he remembered that Ivan was his best friend's son. And so he picked up the pen and under the phrase, so great a debt who could pay, he wrote one word, Nicholas. And then he left the room. When Ivan woke up at a quarter to 12, he picked up the pistol. He was about to take his life when he noticed what he had written. So great a debt who could pay, and he saw a new word, Nicholas. And he immediately went over to his files. 
He pulled out a file that had Nicholas's name on it. He compared the two. It was authentic. And he suddenly realized, the czar knows what I've done. And he has paid my debt, which I could not pay. And I have been set free. That, my friends, is what Jesus has done for us. We have a sin debt that we cannot pay. Sin is any attitude, action, thought, motive, inactivity. Anything that is outside the will of God is sin. We are sinners by birth. We are sinners by action. And the Bible is clear. Our sin will separate us from a holy God. It will keep us out of heaven where God is. But God bridged the gap. He allowed his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, to take on humanity, to live a perfect life, never sinning, but to die the death of a sinner on the cross, to be buried in another man's tomb, for the tomb to be sealed, for the tomb to be guarded, for Satan himself to celebrate the death of God's son. And yet on the third day, the soldiers became like dead men. Satan was defeated. The stone was rolled back. And Jesus victoriously, gloriously, permanently rose from the dead. He paid the penalty for us. So what ought our response to be? I'll suggest just three things, just a few, three to be precise. First, we need to accept what Jesus has done for us. We need to recognize that we are sinners and that the scroll of redemption cannot be earned by us. We can't be good enough to come into the presence of a holy God and we need to have our sin paid for, atoned for, and by faith accept Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's not enough to come to church on Resurrection Sunday. It's not enough to have believing parents or believing children. By faith, have you, have I, have we individually asked Christ to come into our heart, to forgive us of our sin, to become our Savior? Don't leave today without saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I accept what your son Jesus Christ did. His death is a payment of my sin. His resurrection is evidence of life after the grave. I give my life to you, Lord. Forgive me, grant me eternal life. And if you've done that or are about to do that, then the second step is that you and I have a lifelong process of coming to know this great Jesus. Start reading the Bible. You might start in the New Testament, maybe the Gospel of Luke, or maybe one of Paul's letters, Ephesians. Luke or Ephesians, just read a paragraph or two a day and start to get to know Jesus. Come to church where you'll hear about Jesus. Talk to the Lord. Talk to God the Father and the power in the name of Jesus. 
talk to him. That's what we call prayer. Tell him that you love him. Ask forgiveness for daily sins. Ask for empowerment to turn from sin and towards righteousness. Get to know, grow. We have a phrase, take the next step in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's true for all of us. We got to know Jesus. We got to grow in Jesus. We get to tell others about Jesus. Maybe invite a friend to church where they'll hear. Maybe on social media, just write a short explanation of how one can believe in Christ as Savior. Maybe take a friend out for coffee and tell her, tell him about Jesus. This great Jesus who conquered death and rose again. I want to close this morning by reading the resurrection account given to us in the Gospel of Luke. So let me read from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 9. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, this is a band of believing women, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But they, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, angels, stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He, Jesus, is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you where he, what he was doing while still in Galilee. That the Son of Man, that's a name given to Jesus in Daniel 9. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, the disciples, and to the rest. The angel said, He's not here, he's risen. Why do you look for the dead? Or why do you look for the risen among the dead? Go and tell others about Jesus. That's great advice for the women. That's great advice for us. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you saw us in the midst of our sin and that your willing son, Jesus, fully God, took on humanity, fully God, fully man, <coughs> lived a perfect life and then died taking our sin upon himself and rising on the third day that if by faith we would believe in your son, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, we would be given eternal life. And if some here have not received Christ, may they do so today. And for those who have already received Christ, may we take the next step in our walk with you. And may we grow. May we understand more scripture. May we tell others about your son, Jesus. May we apply your scriptures rightly and live God-honoring lives for our betterment and your great glory. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Again, I would like to wish all of you a blessed Resurrection Sunday. 
He is risen. He is risen indeed.